0: Welcome to this week's podcast from the Cooping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. We're going to talk about dealing with distractions this morning. How many of you have ever been distracted? How many of you have unfinished projects lying around collecting dust? (laughs) I've got one sitting in my garage right now that I am just, I have a huge avoidance issue with. I, if, if you know me, I'm not a DIYer. I mean, it's just not, I am not Chip Gaines. It is not in my repertoire. And so, so Anna had, had asked me to, to redo this cedar chest that she has. She said, I just, I just need you to lightly sand it and restain it. Well, what should have been an easy project has turned into ours because I got overzealous in one area with sanding, and so now it's all uneven. And then she says, oh, just paint that gel stain across the top. And so then I did that and then it was just no wood grain. And so now I've got mineral spirits and my hands are raw from scrubbing this stain off with mineral spirits and I'm just kind of avoiding it. It's easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? It takes tenacity to finish what we start because there's always so many competing distractions in the middle of moving. So I'm, I'm working on this thing and you know what I can do? I can go pack a bedroom. That's what I'm going to go do. I'm, that doesn't exist anymore. I'm going to go pack a bedroom. And one thing that I think clearly emerges from our study in the book of Nehemiah is that life is a battle from the beginning to the end. That is, It, it is a battle from the beginning to the end. Whether the battle feels small or big at times, from the beginning of our life, the enemy of our soul struggles against us. Ephesians 6.12, the Apostle Paul warns, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world. We meet these powers in our text today. Here in Nehemiah 6, as many other places in Scripture, we learn that the enemy has two main ways of working. The first tactic is fear. 1 Peter 5.8 says the enemy is, roar, is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But he has another bla- battle plan as well. He not only uses fear, Fear is an easy one, I think, for us to recognize. You know, with the moment you start to get afraid, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be afraid. But here's the other one is flattery. That's the second one that he uses. And we're going to talk about both of these today. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 reveals that the enemy masquerades as, a, as an angel of light. He comes with enticing promises and flattering words, assuring us that what he proposes will cost us nothing. Whatever method the enemy employs, whether it be fear or flattery, his aim is to distract and destroy us. We need to be on guard. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not unaware of his schemes. We need to be on guard because Satan is both a lion that devours and a serpent disease, diseases deceives. That's a typo. So I want to give you a kind of an outline of chapter 6 today, and we're going to break it down. There are three things that I want to look at. The intrigue the innuendo, and the intimidation. We're going to start with the intrigue in verses 1-4. through 4. Since Sanbalat and his sinister buddies failed in their attempts to stop the wall builders, they decide now to concentrate their attacks on Nehemiah himself. So in verse 1, Now when it was reported to Sanbalat, Tobiah, to Geshem, the Arab, to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Caraphim in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. You will experience this as well when you try to correct some things in your life that the enemy will resort to subtle persuasion. No longer direct attacks, no longer you know, throwing things at you, but subtle persuasion. And this is what Nehemiah starts to go through. Many people today are faltering in their walk because they listen to the advice and temptations of those closest to them. So we've just read through verses 1-4. through four. These enemies suddenly become Nehemiah's friends. And they invite him to a conference down on the plain of Ono. The first four verses are like a political concession speech. Okay, we we recognize that you've built the wall. Why don't we just now conference together? Why don't you just come down? They wanted to meet Nehemiah and cut the losses or so it seems. And Ono is located on the seacoast near Nehemiah's Strip. Beautiful resort area, but Nehemiah seems danger. They were scheming to harm him. And so here's my dad joke for the week. Nehemiah said, oh no to Ono. Some commentators suggest that they were trying to trick him into leaving Jerusalem where he had armed support to come to a conference where they could ambush him. Nehemiah senses this, and he firmly declines, saying, I'm carrying on this great project. Why Why would I leave to go deal with you when I'm dealing with this huge project in front of me? Why would I do this? Why should I stop the work? And that's a great answer, and it's blunt, and I love it. But Nehemiah sees through their scheme by refusing their invitation for different times. I want to say you may experience continuing pressure to change your mind and go along with something that's wrong. The enemy will seek to wear you down. And this is how he'll do it. He will do it by playing to your emotions. I'm going to I'm going to make you feel bad for not going. Have you ever felt that way? You know, you shouldn't go do something, but there's a situation and you're like, oh, but man, I feel bad if I don't go. or I don't go help, or I don't go do this thing. But it's the enemy's way of distraction. We might decline the first invitation, but find our defenses weakened as the enticements continue. But Nehemiah persists in his refusal because he knows what his priorities are. I'm doing a great work. I have a great calling. God has committed a tremendous project to me, and if I leave, it will be threatened. Sometimes these distractions come disguise, disguised as harmless options or even good things. And you know, I was talking to, to a buddy of mine this week. Um, he, had, he had reached out to me and he said, Hey, I, I've turned down this speaking engagement in Houston. Would you like to take it? I'll, I'll recommend it. And I said, Oh, that sounds great. I'd love to go. And immediately the Lord quickened, No, that's not what you're called to in this season. You're not to go there. And I said, No, I, I'm not going to. I can't take it while that speaking opportunity was good, I mean, it was, it was a big church, it was this big conference, and it seemed really good. It was a distraction from what was at hand. And it was enticing. I'll tell you, those things, they come. And I think that one of the things that, that happens to us so often is that the good thing looks like a God thing. And we've got to discern the difference between good things and God things. Sometimes these distractions are opportunities that would fulfill what we feel is our identity. What we feel caters to who we think we are. But we have to reorientate ourselves back to what has God called me to? What fits in with what He has identified as my calling in life? I think one of my greatest distractions, honestly, is the is the the first thing that I typically do when I wake up, and I've been Trying not to do this as I check my email. Because I'm looking to see, okay, what, anything come in today that I need to pay attention to. Or I check social media. See that little notification up in the corner, 17 or 2 or messages or you know whatever it is. And, and if I do that, especially on days where I, I come to the, to the church office to work and prepare my message, if I do that, it, it throws off my whole day. Because I'm not orientating myself according to purpose. Not orientating myself according to call. And one of the most helpful things that we can do is to remember that God has called each of us to a great task. This is true of every believer in Christ. Whether you're just joining TEC today or you've been here for years, we are called to make kingdom impact. Our priorities as a church can be summed up this way. Instruction in God's Word. We're called to read, study, apply the Word of God. We're to do this on our own, also by listening to the Word as it's preached and by being involved in a small group. We're to be mobilized for ministry. And Amber, I forgot these slides, sorry. We're to be involved in using our times, talents, and treasures in the work of the ministry. Praying with faith, I'm spelling out impact here. We're to be engaged in regular and fervent prayer. That's why we, we value our Saturday morning prayer time. Because it's, it's the, I think as Pastor Susanna says, the engine of the church. Prayer is the engine of the church. Adoring God in worship. We're to worship God with reverence, with joy individually and corporately. Caring for others. We must be the church before we build the church. We must be committed to each other. And telling others the gospel. Impact. I read years ago of a missionary in China whose abilities were so outstanding that one of the American companies in China called him up and said, hey, listen, we'd like to hire you. We've heard of what you're doing. We can pay your salary. You'll, you'll make a whole lot more than what you're making on the missions base. You won't have to worry about support. We'll even cut your hours, but we just need you to, to do this, you know, this job for us. And if you do this, we'll, we'll double your salary, what you're getting as a missionary. And you can still do all your missions work. And he turned it down. Told him that God had sent him to China as a missionary. He thought that, That would end the matter, but instead they came back with a better offer and they tripled his salary. They said, we'll triple it. He turned that down too. But they came back again. They said, we will pay for your penthouse apartment. You can live in in the business district. We'll hire a car for you. And I mean, they laid out this whole thing. We will transport you back and forth to your missions base. We'll do all these things for you. And he turned it down again. And finally he said to them, It's not your salary that's too little. It's the job that's too small. Because it didn't fulfill the call. And we have to recognize that around our lives, is that it's about fulfilling the mandate God has individually given us. In her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument. This is what she said. There are many things that used to demand my time, When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed straightened the room, dusted and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Planned neglect. I think some of us need to start practicing that. Start neglecting the things that don't fulfill your call and suck away your time. Now, I'm not saying we all need to leave our house dirty and leave dishes piled up. We we need to take care of those things, y'all. But one of the things that the Lord was dealing with me on this week is I've been going to the gym, praise the Lord. Not that I'm doing much, but I'm going. And um, the Lord began to speak to me as I was going to the gym each morning. And he said, if you will take this step, I'll match your steps. And I said, why? I mean, normal question, right? Why, why would you say that to me, Lord? And he said, because what you're doing is preparing yourself for the work ahead. This has to do with your call. So neglecting other things that I would normally do at six o'clock in the morning, like my pillow. And being intentional about this because it's about what am I doing to match the call? It's not that the salary is too small, it's that the job was too small. What am I doing to match the call? Church, we've been called to a great task. One that we have to prioritize or we'll be distracted from it. If we don't practice some planned neglect of other things, even good things, we'll be distracted from God's best. That's what Nehemiah does. He's involved in a great work and he's not going to forsake it for anything less. So let's jump to verse 5. I call this the innuendo. I had a teacher uh, who was from Germany, and she used to say innuendo. And she really thought that's what the word was, was innuendo. When the enemy cannot accomplish his purpose by offering peace, he switches back to his original scheme of sinister threats. He moves from political softball to political hardball. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Then Sanbalat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Gashmu says, what a name, Gashmu, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. Therefore, you are rebuilding the wall and you are to be their king. According to these reports, you've also appointed prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. A king is in Judah and now will be reported to the king. According to these reports, So come, now let us take counsel together. This arm-twisting tactic is designed to pressure Nehemiah to yield to their request and thus fall into their trap. But he he resists again because he sees for what it really is, an enticement based upon lies. Notice it was an unsealed letter. It was designed for everyone to read. So when they would send these unsealed letters, they'd carry it out. So anyone could stop and read the letter. When it was sealed with a seal, it had to go directly to the person it was being sent to. But here was the enemy's tactic. We're going to carry this around and we're going to convince everyone else of what Nehemiah is doing or what we're saying he's doing. Now, Nehemiah wasn't actually doing this. And so, have you ever noticed that rumors regularly cite people of distinction as sources? That's what happened here and Geshem says it's true. Someone has said that gossip is news. You must hurry to tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. Nehemiah responded three different ways. He denied the rumor. He prayed to God for strength and he went back to work. Look at verse 8. Then I sent a message to him saying, such things as you are saying have not been done, but you are inventing them in your own mind. For all of them are trying to frighten us thinking they will become discouraged with the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. What a response. It basically says, that's a lie. There's no truth in it. And you've invented it in your own mind. Leave me alone, and I'm going to go back to prayer. Their tactics were to get the people to think that Nehemiah had some hidden motive. He was doing it for his own glory, for rebuilding while hoping that the workers would thus become discouraged and quit. And Nehemiah simply praised, Lord, Don't let this happen. Strengthen me all the more. Strengthen my hands, oh God. They were on the last lap of the race and the finish line was in sight. He took care of his character and trusted God to take care of his reputation. And I want to say that to you this morning, that so many times you can have accusations from the enemy against your character and your reputation. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. He'll take care of it. Because at the end of the day, what is a reputation anyways? I'm all about the king's reputation. If I take care of my character, I represent him well. So then we get to verse 10 in this last portion I call the intimidation. So once again, the enemy switches his game plan. Verse 10, When I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined at home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you coming to kill you at night this false prophet claims to have hidden knowledge that is suggested by the phrase he was shut in at his home he was secluding himself for some religious reason this is frequently the case with those who claim to be psychics who are in touch with the invisible world they got to hide away in their secret place real prophets don't have to hide away from the public Real prophets interact. They they are part of the body of Christ. They they are known by people. They are in fellowship. They have apostolic authority. They have apostolic governance. And so here they sit behind curtains in semi-darkness trying to create a sense of mystery. You know, those ones who, who have the little crystal balls hidden away. So this false prophet's hidden away. Oh, I've been in this secret place and I'm telling you, come hide away with me. What he says sounds logical. Some people are out to get you. They're going to kill you. Nehemiah knows that. The men suggest, "Come up here. We'll go into the temple and we'll shut the doors. They will not dare attack you." That sounds all good. Let's go hide away. But immediately Nehemiah's discernment kicks in. That old knower starts to work. He knows that he's not permitted to go into the temple for only priests could enter the holy place. So he answers in verse 11, "But I said, should a man like me flee?" And could one such as I go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He realizes that a prophet who is really from the Lord would say nothing contrary to God's commands. And that's one of the things that we have to use to discern in this hour is there are many voices who will say many things. But if it's contrary to the word of God, toss it out. Toss it out. In verse 3, he said, I cannot come down. Now he says, I will not go in. Having right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to do what was right. Courage isn't the absence of fear, but instead it's the tenacity to do what is right no matter how much we're afraid. You see, it's not a matter of just saying no to distractions. We first have to say yes to the right things so that our priorities match up with God's priorities. And as we keep the main thing, the main thing, we'll be able to deal with distractions the way that Nehemiah did. God gives some insight, uh, gives Nehemiah some insight in verses 12 to 13. It says this, Then I perceived that surely God had not sent him, but he uttered his prophecy. And in my Bible, that word his is is italicized. His prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened and act accordingly and sin so that they might have an evil report in order that they could reproach me. Mm. It was all part of a plan to discourage and distract the people from following Nehemiah's lead. See, this is what the enemy wants to do, is he wants you to fulfill his prophecy. The enemy wants to prophesy over your life to get you to fulfill that prophecy so he can uh, downgrade what God's doing around your life. So the enemy will send words to you like, well, okay, so Nehemiah's all in it for his own glory. Now we're going to get Nehemiah to violate God's law and go hide away in the temple where he doesn't even belong. So then we can tell the people, see, he thinks he's God. He's going into the temple. He's hiding away. The enemy will seek to do that. It will look like the right thing, but it will be the completely wrong thing. We must be aware of this kind of attack in our lives. Don't take someone's advice or do what a friend asks you just because they seem like a nice person. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from God's priorities. I remember a couple years ago, I was convinced that we were to do a certain thing and to actually enter into a lawsuit over something concerning the church. I was convinced. I mean, we held a meeting. We did all this stuff. And we had prophets telling us, oh, you need to fulfill that lawsuit. You need to do this. But Pastor Anna and I, in the pit of our stomach, we're like, no, I don't think this is what we're supposed to do. But every prophetic person was saying, do it. I mean, we were just, this is what we have to do. And finally, when we took that step back, it looked like the right thing to do. But it was contrary to God's law. It was contrary to God's word. It was contrary to the spirit of God. But the enemy was working so hard to convince us of this one thing. And we can so miss it. The best response to such an approach is what Nehemiah uses here. A deep sense of his true identity as a believer. Should a man like me run and hide and try to save his life by wrong approaches and unlawful practices? He falls back upon his clear understanding of who he is and what his priorities are. He is a believer in the living God and as such need not resort to trickery to save his life. Nehemiah meets this attack of the enemy by going to prayer once again. Verse 14, Remember... Oh my God, Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works of theirs and also Noadiah the prophetess and the rest of the prophets who were trying to frighten me. This brings us to the end of the first phase of Nehemiah's work. So let's go to verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. When all our enemies, and this is probably one of my favorite verses in all of Nehemiah. When all of our enemies heard it, verse 16, and the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I want to prophesy to you this morning that the enemy is about to lose his confidence around your life where the enemy has been attacking you, where the enemy has been lying about you, where the enemy has been distracting you, I'm prophesying to you this morning that the enemy is about to lose his confidence concerning the promises that he's trying to take from you. And God's going to finish the work. God's going to finish the work. Even the enemies had to admit that God was at work. This entire project was finished in just 52 days. I'm prophesying over at the equipping center this morning. The enemy is going to lose his confidence. The in, where the enemy has been coming against us, I'm telling you, it has not been. We took a stand of faith in finances for God to move, and it has been the exact opposite in the natural. Because that's where the test comes. It comes to test if you're going to believe what God said He would do. And so the exact opposite took place this week. I'm going, okay, I'm not going to look at numbers. I'm not going to look at what's going on because God has promised. And I'm telling you that y'all, we are going to see the enemy lose his confidence and we're going to see God finish the work. Come on. What a beautiful picture of the power of Christian witness in a community. Even their foes must agree that God is at work among them. But the enemies aren't through. Let me tell you this. The enemy will lose his confidence, but he will come back. I told you at the beginning. Life is a battle from beginning to end, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And that's the thing you need to recognize is that when people start attacking you, it is not them. It is the enemy of your soul. Unfortunately, they're pawns. I love, my pastor friend says this all the time. The devil is a pimp. Don't be his hoe. So we have got to watch that we not Get used by the enemy. Because it is spirits that attach to our lives to get us to attack each other. And so when, when the enemy starts using people that you love to attack you, recognize they're just being used. Don't let it steal your confidence because the enemy will lose his confidence. In these closing verses, we see how they continue their tactics of opposing and distracting says in verse 17, Also in those days many letters went from the nobles of Judah to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah the son of Arah, and his son Jehonanan, Jehoahanan, whatever that says, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Moreover, they were speaking about his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Then Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. So they, they continue on. But church, here's one of the overriding truths from this book. Even though the enemy never quits, and even though he's never going to give up while we're still alive, God has wonderful blessings and much encouragement and joy for us along the way, but we must never cease in, in the battle. Don't, don't give up. You keep pressing in. You keep pressing on. You keep letting God do His work in you. If He cannot distract you with fear and flattery, He will use gossip and false accusations. So let's talk about some action steps this morning. Let's talk about some practicals. So we close this morning. Let's ask God to apply this passage to our lives. And I see at least two action steps. Number one, practice saying yes to God's priorities. The best way not to be distracted is by being attracted to those things that are in the heart of God. I'll say that again. The best way to not be distracted is by being attracted to those things that are in the heart of God. Once we're aware of what those are and are attracted to them, we need to commit ourselves to a life full of devotion and complete commitment. I heard a story about a Native American who'd left the reservation to join his cousin who lived in the city. One day, as they were walking down a busy street, the Native American said, I hear a cricket. His city cousin was amazed because all he could hear was the traffic. After a short short search, the man reached down and picked up the cricket. When he stood up, he pulled some change out of his pocket and dropped it on the sidewalk. The noise was no louder than the crickets, but immediately several pedestrians stopped and turned toward the sound. The man turned to his cousin and said this, See, people hear what's important to them. People hear what's important to them. What are you hearing today? What is it that's important to you? Are you locked into God's voice and to His kingdom purposes, or are you focused on a bunch of other things? Number two, practice saying no to the enemy's distractions. I don't know what distractions you're faced with, might be television. Read this week that the average American spends three hours and 46 minutes watching TV every day. That equals to 52 days of nonstop TV watching per year. By the age of 65, the average American will have spent nearly nine years glued to the TV. The average teenager spends 13 hours a day looking at their phone. 13 hours. I didn't do all the calculations, but that's four times what the average American does spending time on TV. So by the time that the average teenager is 65, they will have spent 36 years, 36 years of their life like this. Isn't that crazy? 36 years. Let's take some time right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify those things that are distracting you from God's priorities. Is it a friend? Is it an activity? Is it your money, your possessions, your thought life, your career? When the Spirit makes it clear, decide how you can begin to say no to those things that are derailing you from what's most important. Maybe you can practice saying no like Nehemiah did. I will not come down and I will not go in. I will not push that button. Someone posted this on Facebook this week. The Worldwide Convention of Satan and His Demons. In the devil's opening address to his followers, he said, we can't keep Christians going from going to church, but we can steal their time. Let's keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Keep them busy, busy, busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Let's crowd their lives with so many good things that they have no time to seek the best things. Church, The enemy will act to distract you. While he blasts away, God is building his kingdom. Satan is subtle, but God is sufficient. Remember when God's priorities become our priorities, God's kingdom work will advance. When the wall was completed, verse 16, I'll read it to you again. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. May that be said thus. When our work is completed, the enemy's going to lose his confidence. If you're dealing with distractions this morning, if you're dealing with things that are taking away your time, if you're dealing with, it might even be sickness, whatever it is, this morning I want to pray for you. Before we do that, greatest privilege I have every single time I stand before people is to give the gospel message. Jesus came, lived as a man, so that as a man, he could die for all of mankind. Sinless and blameless, he took upon all of our sin because he was so rich in mercy. Not only did he die on that cross, he rose from the dead to give us new life. Today, you're not just surrendering your life to Christ. Without him, you're dead. You're getting life. You're getting the life that Christ has for you. If you're in this room or if you're watching by live stream this morning, we're gonna pray a simple prayer. Prayer isn't what saves you. The invitation to join that life with Christ, to become alive out of death in your sin. Church, let's pray this morning. Jesus, I surrender my heart. I repent for my sin. Take me from being dead and give me new life. Make me a new creation in you today. And I'll serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www.equippingcenter.com. Dot U.S.